Max Hall and Melbourne Football Club, you're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cochin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Penderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Number seven in my 50 most relevant, Hayden Young. Let's be honest. You probably got him in your side at the moment across all of the formats, so you're not surprised to see him in the 50 most relevant. But are you surprised that he's this high? Maybe, maybe not. We're going to unpack him today on today's episode. It is MJ from the Coaches Panel. I hope you will. you only got about a week left of hearing my voice every single day to start your year. Uh, the best way to remedy that is mute me or just go back and start the 50 most relevant again uh, if you'd like to do that. But joining me on this episode, it's almost been a couple of weeks since we've had him back on the coaches panel. You should be not surprised. We're talking about a free man on Docker. He's found his way in. Mini Monk, it's nice to see you. I think this might be the final time we see you in the 50 most relevant, but whether or not it's linked to a free man or player or not, I guess we'll wait and see. I think it might be the final time. But the other thing I'm going to say is I didn't push him this high. This wasn't my doing. <laughs> I wanted him a bit lower. I wanted him snuck away so we could hide him away a little bit more. But no, this was your doing. You wanted him up this high. So let's let's hear it. Let's go for it. Yeah, look, I'm happy to take the heat. For better or worse, the 50 most relevant is a subjective list. Uh, right back in episode 50, I explain exactly what it's like so you can read, watch, or listen to that. But at the end of the day, the 50 is about starting a fantasy football conversation. And if you are talking about your super coach, AFL fantasy, and dream team side for 2024, and you have not yet had a conversation entertaining Hayden Young, just between you and me, you're probably doing it a little wrong. And let's try to help correct that for you on yeah. this episode. Last year, he averaged 93.9 for us in Supercoach, a top score in that season of 137, 10 tons, and a career high score of 142. Means he's priced just over 525,000 for us in Supercoach. While in AFL Fantasy, a seasonal average of 89.2, seven tons, a season high score of 119 but a career high score of 132. He had a pretty strong element of scoring for us. And like I said, just priced over 800,000 in both AFL fantasy and in dream team. I'll be honest with you. 12 months ago, I was really bullish on Hayden Young. Don't know if I was bullish as Mini Monk, but definitely was really pretty bullish on Hayden Young. Mm. Everything was trending well. The way he was scoring towards parts of 2022, the way that Fremantle side was moving the ball so freely and playing through him, people are going, yes, this is the guy I'm going to be on. So much so, I know it feels crazy to say it 12 months on with knowing what we know. It was a genuine dilemma in the fantasy community. Do I start with Dacos? Or do I start with Young? I know it's crazy to say now, but that was one of the big conversations, especially after the Finn McGuinness tag in that preseason match that went to Dacos. It was, oh, Young basement feels hot, is safer. He might not have the ceiling. He feels safer. It was a crazy world 12 months ago. But despite having in some people's eyes, Mini Munker, a down season or a frustrating season, he actually was still a really nice performer for us when you look at the season in totality. Absolutely, he was. He was still a top 20 average or in total points player for us across the formats, which 
you know, a lot of the negativity that got directed towards him through the year wasn't because of the fact that he wasn't scoring well. It was just that comparison. People were just frustrated at the fact that they went, damn, I went Hayden Young, didn't go Dacos, that burnt me, cost me a good ranking, season was over because of one decision. Well, yeah, okay, maybe Dacos, not having Dacos hurt, but we've got to look at the decisions that we make as a team in, in our teams as a totality. It wasn't just, do I pick Young or do I pick Dacos? There was a world where you could have had both. There was a world where you could have had neither. And that could have affected your decision-making as well. But when we look at Young, his scoring last year was still really solid. And let's not talk about those last five games because sure. I think they need let's to be take them talked out. about in a way. If you look at every other game outside of that, there was really only two games that were really what we would call stinky, maybe a little bit more in Supercoach, but in AFL Fantasy was that round two game against uh, North Melbourne. It's a really weird game, really sloppy kind of, just a very weirdly run game. And then it was that round 15 game against Essendon. Aside from that, really, the floor was above 70s. And as a defender, you take a 70 every now and then. There were some decent tons. You know, round one, there's a run 18. Round uh, round seven against the Lions, there's a 112. And there's some high super coach scoring as well. That same game against the Lions, there's a 128 SC. That round one game against the Saints was a 137 SC. And there's a few other tons in there as well. So you're thinking, you know, He's a pretty good defender for being able to do what he needs to do. To be in that, you know, 20 to 10 marker, you have to be doing a lot of things right, especially to do it across the formats. But we know that we need to unpack those last five games because that is where the intrigue is from Young. It's not just that the price point that he's at, not just the fact that he has already shown that he can be, a, you know, around the marker, probably a little bit off that top six line for defenders. Yep. It's those last five games. So off you go. So without those final five games, he's a 90.1 average in Supercoach and an 86.7 in Dream Team. So without those five. But then against Geelong, moved in to stop a premiership player and a Brownlow medalist and a multi-club best and fairest winner in Patrick Dangerfield. He significantly stalls his scoring. And what does he score in that game himself? Mid-80s in AFL Fantasy and a 69 in Supercoach. It's important to do that because as I share the next number for you in a moment, this is not cherry-picking stats. And but we can do this in the community. If you go, if you take out all the games he goes under 80, he goes at a 135 average. Of course, you, stats can say anything, but it's important we note that there's a sub-70 score in Supercoach and an 83 in AFL Fantasy as he plays a tagging, negating role on arguably a Hall of Fame midfielder. What happens over these final five games, including that matchup? He goes at an average of 97.8 and two tons in AFL fantasy. While in Supercoach, he goes at an average of 106.8 and outside of that 69, doesn't drop under 110 for the next four matches. So we have a guy that comes into the midfield it's almost like there are some parallels to another couple of defenders for a team just across a state line a little bit. The team go, you know what, it's the end of the year. We need to do something a little bit different. This hasn't gone our way. Let's move a really big body that can add something to a still developing midfield and throw him in there and he flies with elite kicking, really smart football use by hand and by foot, good mark big body, lays tackles, understands the defensive dynamic of football with no surprise after growing up and playing his craft as a defender early days. There are some parallels to him being 
a Jordan Dawson, and even a Rory Laird type. Yeah, just across the state line, but, you know, a two and a half hour flight away. So not too close. Close, close, but not close. I'm not going to cherry pick, but I am going to add some context to those stats. That Geelong game was his lowest CBA percentage of those five games. He only attended 52% of CBAs. Every other game after that, it was 77% or higher. So you got to ask yourself, is he in that midfield rotation? Yes, it was Young, Brasher, and Sarong. They were all above 70% markers. And then the others that were getting a little bit of spurts in there were someone like Aish, a little bit of Johnson, a little bit of Erasmus, a little bit of Swikowski. But it was a clear three midfielders. They were working together well. So that might help to explain why that Geelong score was a little bit lower, but it comes with the trade. You, you can't cherry pick. You can't say, well, he wasn't playing midfield this game because he was. But... Even if we include those three, include that number in the five-game sample size, 106.8 in Supercoach puts him at sixth for defenders coming into Rank, 2020. Ranked on averages that ranked are on averages, priced at right now. Ranked on averages of people who are still in defensive line. And in AFL Fantasy, 97.8, exactly the same. Also puts him in sixth spot. So that is kind of what we're anticipating. We're anticipating if he plays midfield, worst-case scenario... He's a top six defender. Great. Mm. Thumbs up. That's great. But there's more. It's not just that he's played that midfield for five games. It's that the entirety of this preseason so far, he has been playing as an inside midfielder. The club has commented and saying he's playing inside mid. He has commented to the media saying that he's playing inside mid. He's training for the entire preseason in that role. So what do we expect? He's going to be much better at playing that role. And there's the ability for his scoring to be able to bump. So, that is the basement, that 106 SC, that 98 AF. That is what we can see as a baseline if he's playing inside mid. And if it goes anywhere like what Dawson or what Laird have done in previous years when they've moved from that defensive line into that midfield, we know that that can be a 115 to 120 in super coach and a 110 in AFL fantasy and dream team. And that is where the enticing part comes in for him because that is over 15 points of value across all the formats built into his price, and he's already basically guaranteed to be, to be a top six defender. That is what you call a lay down Lazare in the preseason. Absolutely is. it, And part of that's reflected when you look at the ownership that he currently mm. holds across the formats. Yes, people are still relatively bullish on a, a couple of cows that fill the spot that have flown some names around. And there's always one or two of those top end premiums that people like. But you look at that ownership percentage across the board, anybody that's looking for a little bit of value and for some scoring potential, you don't have to go too far down your ownership percentage in any of the formats. And there you see H. Young. So there's a couple of things I want to ask you off the back of this ownership perspective. And maybe it's apt and even maybe ironic that we talked about the Dacos versus uh, Young thing of, of 12 months ago. If oh, yeah. you started or, or got onto Dacos very, very early last year, it made life significantly easy for you. And the longer you went without Nick Dacos last year, really the harder you had to pedal in terms of spinning trades or aggressive movements to get where you wanted to in league or rankings battles. Every year I know is different, but is there a pathway that you could see that the parallels of how critical it was to be on a player of Dacos's type for Young this year, given the ownership, which is so high now across the formats, the scoring pathway, which you've mapped out, already for us, which isn't just a loaded dice. There is some 
under 85 scores there. Could this be the Nick Dacos dilemma that defines the start of seasons for us? It potentially could. And if we look at those early fixtures, there might be a clear narrative as to who he might target if he's going to be providing some attention to players. So the game that he spiked in that midfield in AFL Fantasy and in Supercoach was when he did a job on Lockie Neal in round 21 against the Lions. Guess who the Dockers play in round one in 2024? They play the Lions. So what's the chances that he's going to line up next to Lockie Neal come the first center bounce for the teams in 2024? Well, the second start of the game for the Lions after they have their round zero. It's about as likely as Dom Sheed kicking a goal from the boundary line 50 meters out. Round two, North Melbourne. Who do you think he's going to go next to there? (laughs) Probably going to stand next to LDU. And round three, round three, he comes up against Adelaide. Probably going to go stand next to Jordan Dawson as well. Mm. So there's three matchups where he's probably going to be providing a bit of attention in that midfield, a little bit of, you know, nudging the shoulders, working in, working to try and get those tackles. And I think that that is where the scope comes from as well, is those tackles. First game that he plays against Dangerfield in the midfield, just the five tackles. You know, Dangerfield is a massive beast of a man. Yeah. Very hard to tackle. But then the next four games, 10 tackles, eight tackles, seven tackles, seven tackles. If that stays at that six to seven marker, alongside the fact that he still is able to get a few marks a game and 20 touches a game, that's where you get that 100, 105 AF, 110 SC kind of score built in, let alone the fact that he is going to be bulking up to try and provide that pressure because that's what his role is going to be. That's why he's going into the midfield. It's not a hard tag. He's not going to be running around with these players the entire time. His role is going to be, I want to stand next to their most damaging midfielder. I want to be able to stop them from being able to get that ball from the inside to the outside. And I'm going to be doing that by using my body and my pressure to tackle them, to nudge them over, to knock them off balance as much as he can. And so if he's able to spend another preseason perfecting that, there's no reason why that tackle can't can't stay at six, seven, eight a game, which is exactly what we see from players that have done it before, like Rory Laird and like Jordan Dawson. So where's the downside with Hayden Young? Because at the moment you're hearing two grown men getting overly excited about what might be able to unfold for us. So so let's work our way from ground zero, um, removing injuries, removing suspensions, removing things that ultimately you can't and also don't want to forecast. Let's go. What's the worst case scenario here for Hayden Young? Let me tell you. What he did... In those matches of 2023, where he did not get a centre bounce, like this is literally as bad as it gets, which is an 86.7 in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team and a 90 in Supercoach. These are about three points per game difference from what he's currently priced at in his overall season average, which, by the way, was a top 15 overall for points and average last year. So what's the worst case scenario that's coming your way as a Hayden Young owner? A high to mid 80s AFL fantasy average, a low 90s in Supercoach. You get the same year owners got last year. Here's the difference though. You get it with a significant portion of the community now on him. Last year where it was split, last year where it was unknown, people jumped on one and jumped off other the vast majority of competitive coaches that are listening to fantasy content and consuming it through December, January, now into mid-February have all seen what you have seen. And the ownership percentage reflects that. So the downside is this. 
you are with half of the competition and arguably 60 to 70% of the community that actually plays this game serious, if not higher, that are all on the same player, who's a 90 guy. If that's the worst thing that happens to your team, you're going to be okay. Because we've referenced it a few times throughout the 50, but we'll drive the narrative home again. A player that plays on round 13 by that can get you through every other week of the buy rounds, at worst giving you a 90 defender with the ownership percentage he has. The only risk that I can see coming is not being on Hayden Young and getting left in the wake. Exactly. You look at it, you go, high potential for upside from a known role change that's been forecasted by the club and by a move in the previous season. Low downside if he doesn't get that role, that puts him into a good position. A price tag where there's still value and the best buy that any team has, it's a Monty. Worst case scenario, you're with 40, 50% of the competition and you've got a player that you can ride at D6 until after the buys. Best case scenario, you're with 40 to 50% of the competition and you're riding a player to being a top six, if not higher defender at a price tag far lower than any of the other players that we are forecasting to be top six. It's that simple. The worst case scenario, 90 defender that plays halfback. That's the worst outcome. The best outcome, he does and replicates the scoring from Jordan Dawson of 2023. where And the better is, Dawson was already priced at that triple figure marker. Mm-hmm. You're getting 20 to 15 to 30, depending on how you want to look at it, points per game of value. To me, it's simple. The ownership, the scoring, the buys, all these elements stacking up together. Yeah, you want to get on Hayden Young. If you want to go against him, fine. No problem. Do that. But I would rather stay with the majority on this, given all the elements we've seen, and then, oh, oh no, he goes 90. What a disaster. That's not going to ruin your season. And if you want to bet against that, be my guest, but I'd be putting the smart money on going with him. So where does he go on draft day? If we're that bullish on him, this one gets interesting for me because based on average, he's a D2. Yes. But the community is always looking for upside, even in the early parts of our draft. If you're hoping he lands at D2, you are running a gauntlet that my friend is not going to be friendly to you. Let's assume he goes D1 in a lot of spots because, as you mentioned, those midfield role bot kind of scoring, top five, top six defender. Where is this sweet spot? Is it second round about right? Is third round about right? Where do you see him going on draft day? I think he's actually a really hard one because I want to start off with the stating categorically that if he is playing in that midfield role, he is a D1. That is my opinion. You might feel feel free to disagree if you want, but I feel that if he is a, it's playing midfield, he's a D1. He's going to get DPP, which will be helpful as well. So then what you want to look is where is the potential upside of downside of people around you? What do you forecast players like Sheasel, Sicily, Sinclair, Stewart doing? Because these are the players that he's in direct competition in, in terms of your ranking. And if you think that either they're moving up or moving down, you could rank him probably anywhere from a D3 to a D7, D8 in terms of the seventh or eighth position. 
I think that he probably goes somewhere around about the fifth or sixth ranked defender. And based off of the fact that, you know, we expect Dacos to go far away before the Very rest early. of them. And then in yeah. Supercoach, you probably expect Stewart and Sicily to probably go a bit earlier, maybe Sinclair as well. I see that if you want to pick up Hayden Young, you're probably going to have to go in the third round. Yep. And, and I think if you're wanting to lock him away, going in the third round is the safest spot. I think if you're trying to reach him in the fourth round, you're probably going to have missed the boat. Yeah, it's a gauntlet for sure. If you're waiting for D2, you're a lucky man if you get him there. But again, you're trying to eliminate risk. And so if you do really want to own Hayden Young in your drafts this year, you've got to put him up towards that top of that spot. And definitely I'm with you. If he's in this midfield role, which every possible indicator we can garner in the preseason is heading that way, I'm really comfortable to say he's he's not just a top eight. I've got him as a top five, top six defender, both in points and average for 2024. Hey, mate, it's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure having you on the 50 Most Relevant. Like I said, it's the last time we've been able to get you this preseason through the 50. Plenty of conversations coming for you from the strategy piece, both preseason and season proper. Thanks once again, mate, for being a star this preseason for us. It's been a pleasure to be on and good luck with the rest of the 50. The question is, will we do a Fremantle player without Mini Monk or will we not? Well, <laughs> will be the greatest question we've got. There's just over a handful of players left to go. If you have been enjoying this series of the 50 Most Relevant, go back and check them out, whether it be the articles and reread. Maybe there's some statistical notes that you've missed. Go and check them all out at coachespanel.tv. There are audio podcasts for these episodes that land every single day through the preseason, wherever you're listening to this, whether it be a Spotify, uh, over at uh, Google Podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, pretty much wherever you get audio podcasts from, you can find this. Subscribe, leave a nice five-star rating and review. If you give us one of those, we might read it out during the 50 most relevant in the preseason. So do that there we might be able to give you a little bit of a shout out and you can follow us on social media either the coaches panel direct or all of the members individually we've put the links in the description of this episode if you want to keep in touch with mini monk and pestering with questions about 50 50 dilemmas which i know is his favorite thing to respond back to uh, you can find all the links for that in just over 30 seconds time i've got a clue for you about who's at number six in the 50 most relevant but if you do enjoy what you've got from the coaches panel so far this preseason, we're the only content creator out there that has given you the first 50 days of the year, a podcast, an article, and a video every single day. And so if you've appreciated the volume of content you've already got from us this preseason, jump on board, become a Patreon, whether it be at that low level as a breakout supporter, or you want to jump right up to the premium tier. There are different levels of rewards and activations that can come your way and different opportunities to get involved and support the coaches panel. The details for that, much like the social media, you can find in the description of this episode. All right. So as we head to the 50 most relevant conclusion, there are six spots left. There's at least two midfielders, at least. There will be one more defender, maybe more. And we've got to hit the rucks at least one more time. So tomorrow, why don't we do that? Why don't we hit the rucks? And I'll tell you this much. There's two left. The question is this, am I saying that one of the most dominant scoring rucks of all time, who's coming in at value, is tomorrow? Or am I saying the guy 
that was clear and supreme top ruck from last year has another ruck more relevant. So you figured out the two. All right, it's a 50-50 choice tomorrow. But who do I say is more relevant? The value ruck with new opportunities at his new club or the big dog that delivered for us every single week last year? Who's more relevant and who's tomorrow? <laughs> You'll find out tomorrow in the 50 Most Relevant. Yeah,